Do not attempt to adjust the picture. When I met Michael Jordan for the first time, I literally couldn't believe it was him. I couldn't believe it. Like, people, you know, I felt the dude looked like Jesus Christ to me. He looked like black, he looked, you know, he was black Jesus to me. Nobody could tell me anything different. Welcome to WRTS, the after party, Uninterrupted's reaction show. For the last five weeks, we've recapped every episode of The Last Dance. And for this episode, we have a king-size finale, man. I'm your host, Paul Rivera. You already know who I'm rocking with. Back by popular demand. The man was supposed to be on one episode. The fans called for it. Maverick Carter is joining us for the fifth man. and final episode. Mavi, what's up, baby? What's up? I, uh, I'm back, <laughs> for, you know, four episodes later. I was supposed to only be on for one, but they, they, they keep voting for me. So, you know, I got to, as, uh, as I forgot which wrestler would say, I got to give the fans what they want. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Matt, Matt was like, you know, he's keeping the Ali uh, legacy going. He's the, you know, he's the people's champ right now. You got to keep it going. <laughs> and our other guest obviously needs no introduction, man. But, uh, you know, Someone like this guy, you know, LeBron James, um, every weekend's a big weekend, but you're coming off an incredibly big weekend. You know, you just uh, led an epic graduation night alongside President Obama. Want to talk about that a little bit, what that meant to you? I mean, uh, it meant everything to me, man. I think if you looked at any of the social posts that I posted throughout this weekend, to be able to put something together with the class of 2020, um, obviously we, we're, we're living in uncharted territory times right now. And... You know, I can remember when I was a senior in high school, um, if, if, you know, my graduation or my senior year or anything would have been taken away from being from me being in the classroom, being around my classmates, being around my teammates, um, how defeated I may have possibly felt at that point in time. So for for myself and, and Spring Hill and, um, you know, so many great people, um, you know, to be able to put a show together like that that represent the class of 2020 um, was something that uh, I would never forget. And, and for me to be able to have another people's champ in Barack Obama uh, come on and say the things that he said um, at a time where we all need a little sense of comfort, a sense of healing, a sense of motivation, um, along with all the other guests, I think it was just, it was perfect timing. That was a graduation ceremony that if you were a 2020 senior, you will absolutely remember you had LeBron James, the host, and Barack Obama giving the commencement speaker, among many other people uh, entertaining. And that's the one thing I love about sport is sport teaches you in the human condition that the comeback is possible. Yeah. And to add on to that, Mav, it's like, you know, when you're a high school senior, you know that you're now stepping into adulthood and a thought goes into your mind and saying, will we be forgotten? Will people remember us? And now, you know, the class of 2020 Everyone in the world will always remember the class of 2020 because of not only how great they are, but because of the times that we're in. So we will never, ever forget the class of 2020. They will never be forgotten. I agree with you. So speaking of never being forgotten, man, the last dance is officially in the books, man. Uh, you know, we just saw episodes nine and ten. Sad times, you know, sad times. Yeah, man. Sad man. Time. Can we can we cheers? Can we cheers to the, the yes. players? Can we For please sure. cheers? To the last to dance, man. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Absolutely. To, to Michael and the Bulls in the last dance. 
No, so let me ask this. Bron, I want to start with you. I don't know about you, but during the commercials, I may have hit like crossed over nobody, little spin move <laughs> to the fridge, right? Did watching this doc inspire you? Like, man, I need to hoop, man. Like, I really want to get after it. What? Absolutely. Watching this doc, I mean, I'm sitting there watching my daughter walk across the room and she comes close to me and I give her a little going right hard, <laughs> slap her on the, on the, on the butt, let her fly by. And I, and I, and I leave that thing and, and I leave it, I leave it there. I leave it there. We all seen that. I leave it there. You know, she looking at me like, what are you doing, dad? But you know, it, it's just the moment that, 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 that moment and those times, man, that I, that I grew up on is something I would never forget. You know, as a hooper, that thing is always inside of you. Even, you know, I haven't played real competitive basketball in 20 years almost. But I still, as a hooper, you know, if I'm walking down the street, I air dribble and right, turn right, around. Right. And, Abs- and, absolutely. You know, give the shoulder fake. Absolutely. Yeah, just whatever. <laughs> but watching The Last Dance definitely gave me that feeling. But for me, Bron, it also gave me like the, the 16-year-old version of that feeling again, like, Damn, I want to go hoop and really get up and down and play. Not right. even like so for you, seventeen years in, you now a pro. But it, it, did it reinvigorate you in a way like like that that twelve year old LeBron again? Like, damn, this is this is part of the reason you play basketball is because of Michael. No, Jordan. absolutely, absolutely. Like like right now, usually you know the summertime is when I kind of get extra motivated, and, and the reason I say that is because. Of, you know, yes, we're supposed to be in the playoffs, but I tell them about just the summertime. I get an opportunity to watch my son play. And going on that circuit, watching them play AAU ball, you like, wow, man. Like, it, it gets the juices reflowing again. Like, I'm like, wow, I want to get back out there and play right now. And, and now that we're not playing because we're suspended because of the pandemic, watching the, the last dance, you like, I'll play anywhere. I'll play anywhere. We can really go outside in my, in my, in my, in my driveway and we can start a game right now. We don't, we can have shirt, shirts and skins. Let's go take it back, take it back to the block how we used to do it when we was growing up. Mm-hmm. And we could go right now. I mean, it's just that, like you said, Mav said he hasn't played, you know, in, in twenty years, and, and, and but it, it doesn't matter when when the game of basketball is in you, it never ever leaves, and it, all it yeah. takes for you to see something, you know, visually to make those juices flow again, and, and that's what the last dance has done for all of us. For sure. Um, any, you know, obviously 10 episodes in, you know, not just nine and 10, the whole series. Is there anything that jumps out at you? You know, anything that you learned watching this series? You know what? I, I, it's, it's nothing that I, I learned over watching this series because I'm a historian of the game. And, and, I, and I read about, you know, not only the individuals, but also the greatest teams of all time. Um, so I knew a little I know, you know, a lot about, you know, the conflict of interest as far as with Scotty and his in his contract. Um, I knew about MJ and, and and how, you know, he didn't get along with the front office in Chicago. I knew about Dennis and and him missing practices and things of that nature. Did I know that he missed a did I know he missed the finals practice to go wrestle? Just for a side though. I mean at some level I was watching that going like I was feeling a little Allen Iverson like Practice? We really talk. I mean, Dennis just go go out there and play hard and get a, and get twenty rebounds. I don't know. I mean, I kind of get Dennis's point. Like he don't exactly need practice at 
game ninety nine. You know, it's ninety games in. And, 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 and Dennis felt the same way. Obviously, Dennis felt the same way. And as a leader of the team, I would be like, Dennis, what the fuck are you doing? We need your presence. We need you here. But then he goes out and gets you 20 rebounds in the finals game. You're like, maybe this is working for Dennis. Let, let Dennis yeah. do what he do. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, just seeing the, the, the competitive drive, not only from Michael, but from Phil, from Scotty. You know, from Dennis um, and, and everyone else, even even the opponents that he beat from Reggie Miller, you know, to Patrick Ewing, to Charles Barkley, even their competitive drive as well, even though they didn't come out, become out successful like like Mike and the Bulls. But just that drive is something that, that is something that's uncanny. You see things like those players had the utmost respect for each other. When Michael comes out of the press conference. Carl and John are standing there after game two or three in 97 or 98. They're waiting to go up on the podium, shakes their hand. After 98, they, the Utah went, loses a tough series. Carl came on the bus yeah. and, and, and congratulated the team. Sportsmanship and respect are two things that have been in the game forever, since, since the yeah. beginning. But the thing I learned, and Brian, I would ask you this too, and P, you can speak on this, like, I did feel, I learned and feel like I got cheated. I never heard Michael say he wanted to go for seven. Like, cause mm-hmm. six is this, like, it's this very symmetrical. His career is very symmetrical, right? They won three. He yeah. took time off and they won took time three off more. And won three again, right? But to hear Michael say, absolutely, I wanted to go for seven. I feel like we should have went for seven. Phil would have signed up for one more. Steve, this we would have figured Scotty's thing out. That was news to me. I learned that, and I felt cheated. How did you feel, Bron? Is it going back to you as a kid then? And you heard Mike say it in one of the episodes. I don't know what particular episode he said it. You know, he's sitting there talking to the media, and he's talking about being on the pedestal. And Mike saying, "If I'm gonna let someone knock me on the off the pedestal, it's gonna be me. It's not gonna be the media. It's not gonna be anybody else." So you like, damn. You know, Mike wins six. In the fashion that he won six, you know, does he go for it again and see if anybody can knock him off that pedestal mm-hmm. of being not only the greatest player in the world, but also, um, you know, the greatest team at that point in time. So, you know, you definitely would have loved to see him go for seven. And it's like, you know, when we watched Mike and we was watching him in the 98 finals, we like there's he's nowhere near washed. And that's the word a lot of people use right now, like washed or, or he's nowhere near to like being on his last leg. This motherfucker can still go. He's still the best player in the world. And I'm watching that in 98 at 14 years of age. Like, wow, Mike's still the best player in the world at 35 years old. Bron, I want, I want to bring you back to a, a, you recently tweeted um, that when MJ retired in 93, nine-year-old LeBron. Man, I was nine. <laughs> Talk about that a little bit, man. What, what his retirement in 93 meant to you and how it, it may have impacted you if in any way. Man, I'm smiling now, but I wasn't back in 93. Um, you know, it, it didn't make sense to me. Like for me growing up in Akron, Ohio, um, all the hardships that I had to go through, you look for inspiration. You look for any inspiration you can. And usually people that's playing professional sports or people in the music industry is the ones that gave you that inspiration to make you believe you could be anything you want. Um, so you know, I had, you know, you know, King Griffey Jr. and, and Deion Sanders and, 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 a, and a lot of other musicians. But Michael Jordan was kind of like that God. He was that 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 angel sent from heaven that that I kind of used him to help me get through some of the darkest days that I had. Even at people say, well, you're only nine years old. But, 
you know, there's a lot of dark days, you know, when you grow up the way I grew up and, and, and you're part of a single parent household. So, you know, every other day, if I got an opportunity on WGN to watch Mike, it gave me another boost of life. You know, it made me feel that I can make it out of this situation. And when he decided to, you know, give it up after winning that third title versus Phoenix, I felt like, what, what can I do? I, I don't know what to do. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm losing words right now thinking about it again. It's kind of resurfacing me as a nine year old. I'm like, OK, without Mike, what do I do now? Who is who, going to be my inspiration? And that brought tears to my eyes. Matt, do you remember 93 when, when MJ retired? Yeah, absolutely. I remember when MJ, I mean, we just talked about him retiring in 98 and feel like it, making us all feel like it was too early. So five years before that, it was clearly <laughs> too <laughs> early. It was, and, and to Bron's point, just as a youngster, it was, it was <clears throat> Mike was my favorite athlete amongst many athletes. I had a lot of, you know, I love sport like any other kid. Um, Jerry Rice and Dion and yep. Joe Montana. I loved them all. But it was just confusing. Like, wait, he is clearly the best, established himself as the, as the best, and had won three championships. So it's like, of course, he's going to keep winning and winning and winning. That's what athletes do. And to see him quit, but to, but on the dock, you know, I thought they did a great job of giving us that, like, it had just wore him out. The, right. The, context. The, yeah, the, great context. The, yeah, yeah right. the, the right. whole thing, all of it is just like, all of it that... You know, as a fan, you don't take into account the like, can he win again? Family issues. His father had passed away. Fan, like it just all wore him yeah. down. Like enough is enough. Yeah, because like when you when you when you have when you're a nine year old kid and you need inspiration from someone, they become your father, which I needed. They become your brother. They become your teammate. They become your pastor. They become your superhero. You know, it's like yeah. Batman and Michael Jordan. For me, when I was growing up, <laughs> those are the two best superheroes in the world. And and I even remember the cartoon. Uh, What's it called? The All Stars Map with him, Wayne yeah, Gretzky, yeah, yeah. Bo, yeah. Jackson. Bo Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, re I remember that, too, man. It was like one of my All Stars is gone. Like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, so, you know, they become everything in your household. And it's definitely something that's unfair to that particular athlete. But as a, as a nine year old, that's all I knew. So we, we, we didn't have the inside track on. You know, what was the real reason that that he was giving it up? We just I felt like, you know, maybe I should give up, too. And that's what that's what brought me to tears. I don't know if many people remember this or heard it or if it was a real thing, but lockout year. There was actually grumblings that you might <laughs> even consider playing a little football. And I don't know if you heard uh, a coach you really respect recently, Coach Doc Rivers, said uh, that he believes you could have been potentially the best football player to ever play the game. Was football ever even a thought for you during that year? It, it, you know what, to be honest, PR, it, it actually was. Um, wow. I had no idea how long the lockout was going to be. And, and myself and my trainer, my man Sears, we, we really started to, started to actually train to be a football player when it came to like October and November, we started to run. We started to clock our times with the 40s. We started to add a little bit more in our bench presses and things of that nature. We started to add more sled into our to our agenda with our with our uh, workouts. And, um, you know, Mike kept talking about, you know, it'd be great to go down to Irvine, Texas. You know, it'd be great to go to Irvine, Texas. You know, Mike is, you know, he, he's from Texas. 
we're both cowboy fans. <laughs> you know, he's like, it'd be it'd be great to go down there, down there to Dallas, you know, and suit it up for the Cowboys. How great that'll be. And, you know, I, you know, the thoughts came into my mind. The thoughts came into my mind. But, uh, you know, never um, having the ability to finish my high school career of playing like my senior year. I have dreams all the time about playing football. And it's like it's crazy because I actually never run on the field in my dreams. It always gets to the point where I'm either in the locker room or getting dressed or talking about it or seeing the fans. And as soon as I run about to run on the field, something else happens in my dream. It's wow. like something that, yeah, it, it always happens like that. But yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Did, did you get that phone call, Mav? Did you get the call from Bron saying, hey, I might want to do this? I did not, but I know he got a contract from Jerry Jones. Uh, that he framed and put in his office. Bron, I want to take you back. Um, I believe 2001 is the year you met MJ, and it was in Chicago. Um, talk about what that experience was like, please. Bro, you have no idea, man. It's two people that I've met in my life that's changed my day and changed my life. Meeting my wife that I've been with since uh, since 2002. And when I met Michael Jordan in 2001, you know what? Let me throw Jay-Z on there, too, because that, that was a huge moment for me, too. But when I met Michael Jordan for the first time, I literally couldn't believe it was him. I couldn't believe it. Like people, you know, I felt the dude looked like Jesus Christ to me. <laughs> he looked like black. He looked, you know, he was black Jesus to me. Nobody could tell me anything different. When I walked, I was in Chicago. Maverick and I and our good friend G, we they take us to hoops. I'm going there. And before they play, they say Mike always, you know, used to lift before they play. Mav know the story. So we walk upstairs and nobody told me that Mike lift before he played. I don't know anything about lifting right now. I'm, I'm a high school sophomore. I don't know anything about lifting. Um, we walk up there. The first person I see is Charles Oakley. You know, Oak being from Cleveland, dapped him up. I had seen Oak around the city a few times, you know. And Oak move, and when he moves, Mike is sitting on the bench press. Um, and I was like, "Oh my fucking god!" <laughs> I was, I didn't think he was real, man. You don't understand. I didn't think Michael Jordan was real. I only thought he lived in the TV. All I thought he lived in the TV, either in games or commercials, or come fly with me on cassette tapes. Wow, yeah. I didn't think he was real. And when I saw him, I was like, if, if the man above would have took me that day, I would have lived a hell of a life. I swear to God. <laughs> I had to see him, Mike. When I got back home to Akron and I told my boys, and like my boys, because they know how crazy I am about MJ. They was like, no, nah, you're lying. I'm like, dog. I was, <laughs> not only did I see Mike, I was on the court with Mike. And I was like, I told you, like I said, if the, if the man above would have took my life, then boy, I lived a hell of a life, man, after seeing Mike. So, so this is your sophomore year in high school, correct? It's my sophomore year, yep. Sophomore, sophomore year, 2001, you're on the court with him. What's, I mean, what's that experience like? I mean, shit, you're on the court with, you know, Black Jesus, as you said. Do you remember anything yeah. about that run? Yeah, him and Antoine Walker was talking so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. Him and Antoine Walker nonstop was talking so much shit, man. Back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, for me, when I got the opportunity, they didn't let me play for like the first hour. 
You know, no. I'm, I'm, I'm like, the young guy I'm 16. Sit yeah, the young guy, I'm sitting there just waiting my turn. And, and, and to be honest, I didn't even think I would even get the opportunity to play. And the only reason I played is because the guys that was in the league, you know, after a few, you know, after an hour, some of them didn't get tired. They're like, you know what, well, I'm done with this shit. I'm done with this shit. Hey, young fella, hey, we, we need a fifth. You want to play? You know, so for me to be on the court, you know, at 16 years old, sophomore in high school with, you know, you know, my favorite player of all time, man, it was like, this this can't be real, man. If you pinch me, man, I was like, please, I hope I don't wake up. Yeah, I remember that game. It was a point in that game, you know, it was like to seven or whatever, just like a pickup. It was pickup. And yeah, Stackhouse pick was there and Paul Pierce and yeah. Penny, Ron Penny Artest. was playing. Ron Artest, Artest at the time. The, Jamal Crawford, all the baby yeah. bulls, Eddie Curry. But Mike and Twan were like, they Man. split them up. They were kind of the captains of each team, and they wouldn't stop. Yep. And Mike yep. hit a Mike hit a game winner in the game, just like Brian said. With the follow, yep. same Utah follow yep. doing the pickup, same it was like, and was like, yeah, that's why they pay me thirty three million to do this. That's why they pay <laughs> yeah. me thirty three. Hey. I'll never forget that. Yeah, there's a photo circulating, you know, social media universe of you and Mike on the court. Do you know if that was that run? Is that camp? Maybe you know. No, the that 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 is Santa Barbara. That is Santa Barbara. That's Michael George's camp in Santa Barbara. We were definitely we were on the same team then. I was a rookie. I was a rookie oh, coming. He was a rookie in the league already. Yeah, okay. I was a rookie in the league, and uh, I went to Santa Barbara um, to MJ's camp, and we used to play around nine o'clock p.m. The camp would end. Um, he would let the the kids watch like the first game around like eight thirty, and then he'd have all the kids leave, and then we would stay. Um, along with the college kids that he would invite to the to the games as well, um, or, or to the to the to the camp, I should say, and uh, we would get a good ass run in for about a good hour, hour fifteen, um, and yeah. So I was on I was on a team with MJ, and we didn't we didn't lose a game. We didn't. Bro, let me ask you: seventeen years in, do you still enjoy just getting some pickup run in? Like if it's just like let's meet up at a facility or a gym in the summer and let's just run let's just get up and down a bit you still man, enjoy hell, that yeah hell yeah it, it's so much it's so fun man like you know for us you know when, when we get mid-30s you know you start to get you know close to 40 and you know you know you know you know some of the guys are in our 40s that we know as ball players the best conditioning is actually running up and down the court playing ball of course when you're able to get 12 13 14 guys Sometimes 15 guys that say like, like, hey, let's show up to the gym. Let's get a good run in. You know, let's compete. Let's talk shit. Um, let's get some bragging rights for the day, maybe for the week, depending on who you're playing against. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, it's just the love of the game. Hey, Mav, I don't know if you know this story. And, and Bron, I don't know if you remember it. It was probably two years ago. Bron comes to New York in the offseason. And I asked you, Bron, I'm like, you're going to play? You're like, nah, I'm in and out. I got to do something or whatever it was, whatever. And, and I think Mello had invited you to the run in the city. And you're like, ah, oh, I'm not going to go or whatever. We go out to dinner that night. He's like, yo, P. I'm like, what up, Ronnie? He's like, you think Ronnie could send us some shorts tonight if I could make that run at 8 in the morning? <laughs> I call Ronnie Fogg from Kith. He messaged, he sends someone from, like his intern, his assistant, sends some shorts up to dinner, like at midnight. And you played, that's when you played in the Versace shorts. I played in the Versace I, I, I literally brought no basketball gear to New York to try to stop me from playing. <laughs> Mello hits me like, yo, bro, we playing that sky. You know, if yep. you come through tomorrow, we're going to get a good run in. I literally did not text him back until that night at dinner. 
I'm like, yo, what time y'all playing? And that's when I hit you, Pete. Pete sitting next to me at dinner. I'm like, yo, you think Ronnie can give me some shit? Because I had no basketball gear. Like, I had nothing. I had, yep. like, you're like, seriously. Um, and, and I was able to get a run in. Like, literally, the shoes that I played in, I didn't even have my, uh, I didn't even have my orthotics in there. But wow. it was some shoes that I had brought on the trip. And I knew that they would, you know, they would last for the hour that I was going to be playing pickup ball. But, you know, my, my, when I, when I, when I, when I found out they was hooping, I was like, hey, man, I got to get a run in. That's one of the things I want to talk. I've had the, uh, Mav, you and I, obviously, and, and you more than me, have had uh, the incredible fortune of traveling, you know, the world with LeBron. You know, one of my earliest takeaways from, you know, traveling with you guys was just how global the game of basketball was, right? I remember one time we were in Barcelona and we're on the bus and the little kids are throwing the diamond up, you know what I'm saying? Like, and we were like, right. I was just blown away. Right. Um, how much of that credit do we give to Mike for making the game of basketball global? If it's up to me, I would say it's uh, it's Mike. David it's Stern. The, it's the M, it's the NBA slash yep. David Stern. Yep. It's not. It's Nike. Nike. And it's U, and it's USA Basketball. So yep. Mike David Stern slash NBA. Uh, Nike. USA and USA B. And thank God for Mike's parents, right? I mean. Mike's parents made him go take that meeting at Nike. That changed all of our world, right? right? If Mike doesn't end up at Nike, the stage isn't set for LeBron to do what he's been able to do with Nike. Nike yeah. doesn't take basketball as serious. They don't build, they don't, they don't promote in the '92 Olympics the way they did. Right. And and Mike was the catalyst for that. And thank God for his parents. But but Mike is number one on that list to spreading the game and the gospel globally. And it's, and it's crazy that you're talking like that too, Matt, man. We always talk about like how important timing is. Timing is everything. Absolutely. Like a lot of people, 92 was the first year that USAB decided to take NBA players and Michael Jordan happened to be the greatest player in the world. You know, and it's, and it's unbelievable. They come over there with Mike and Magic, you know, and Bird, you know, and Barkley and all these great personalities and all these great players, you know, to play on this world stage. And being in Barcelona, you know, representing the red, white, and blue. I mean, it's just, it was just such incredible timing. If someone say, what does what is, what is dream team mean to you? You automatically already know. It's not, it's, you, you, you think 90, 92 Barcelona, Michael Jordan, and the dream team. And it's, it's incredible, man, what timing does. There's footage on social media as recent as like two weeks ago where you're in Beijing Olympics. I think Chris Bosch is at the free throw line. And Kobe, may he rest in peace, is going at it with Luis Scola. Kobe's talking shit to him in Spanish. Yeah. Right? And the ref has finally had enough. And he's like, Kobe, that's enough. And he's on the verge of giving Kobe a technical. Yes. And yes. you jump in and you tell the ref, I got him, ref. And you're like, Kobe. Kobe, play ball. Play ball. Right. Let's who? Yeah. You remember and that it's moment? It's crazy. I, listen, I, I have forgot about that moment until I actually seen the clip. Because right now, you know, we're playing a lot of... Um, you know, they're playing a lot of old games right now, either retro mm -hmm. NBA games or a lot of USAB games and things of that nature. And and that was a lot of clips coming out. So, you know, when I saw that clip, it, it boom, it came right back into my mind. I remember that because him and Luis Scola was going back and forth, back and forth. And one thing about it is two people you ain't going, you know, you can't out shit talk and play. Meaning like <laughs> there's some people that you can't out shit talk or people can shit talk better than you. But sometimes their game don't match up to that. Mike and Kobe. They can shit talk and they can still be the shit, if that makes sense. 
you know, so, you know, they're going back and forth. But in international play, those referees, they don't really they don't want to hear that. It's all about the it's literally about the sportsmanship of the game. Like they give you a T for just like like if you just look at a guy the wrong way, no refs to give you a technical for that. You know, so I'm like, Cole, all right, now that's enough. Let's hoop. You know what I'm saying? And, and for me, for, for Cole, man, rest his soul, man, um, for him to have that respect in me that he allowed me to do that and he just locked back in. You know, it's one thing about players and competitors and things of that nature. If you got guys around you that you know that work is hard, that commit is hard, if they say something to you, you're going to respect it no matter no matter what. And he respected mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. There's uh, It's obviously been talked about in this doc and, and just in general about those practices in 92. Can you tell us a practice story of your redeemed team in 08 when you guys were getting after it? What were those practices like? Like, like I've seen it all over with the 92 Dream Team. And they say, listen, the, the practices were harder than the games. That's absolutely true. When you're dealing with the 12 best players in the world, the practices is harder than the game. I mean, I don't want to say hard because, you know, hard is what, what we like. We, we like hard practices. I mean, like competitive. These are the best times. It's me. It's Kobe. It's Wade. It's Melo. It's Dwight in his prime. It's CB. It's Bosch. You know, it's uh, Darren Williams and, and, and so on. J. Kidd. Like these games, we're, we're, we're in practice and we're literally like beating each other up to a point where Coach K and the coach staff are like, OK, bring it in because we still got <laughs> we still got a gold medal to win. If you remember, like, you know, we, we're the redeemed team, so we have no choice but to win gold. So we can't like literally kill yourself, kill each other in practice. But uh, we used to go at it, man. Me, Kobe, we'd go at it. Melo and Kobe go at it. D-Wade and myself would go at it. D-Wade and Kobe go at it. You know, CP and D-Will. Uh, D because, you know, at that point in time, people were saying, who's the best point guard in the league? Is it D-Will yeah. or is it CP? They going at it, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it, it, was, I mean, it was a lot of battles, man. That's for sure. You're, you're the biggest student of the game I've ever been around. So I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you what the result is. <laughs> But I want to I do want to ask you, have you in your mind played what those matchups potentially could have been 92 versus the 08 team in your mind? Have you thought about what that could look like? Yeah, absolutely. And I've talked about it a lot with Mav, too. And um, one thing about the 92 team, they had a lot of grown ass strong men like <laughs> like those guys be lifting cars like you, you ever see the you ever see the uh the the, the strongest man the strongest uh, man on, yeah. On, yeah the strongest man competition on, on ESPN Charles Malone Ewing you know those those, those guys Robinson. David Robinson those guys are like brute strong you know but one thing about the 08 team we got a lot of wiggle to our game you know what I'm saying? We got a lot of wiggle. So, you know, we might get beat. We might get, you know, killed on the glass if shots, you know. But I feel like it ain't going to be a lot of shots missed anyways because of these two teams. <laughs> it's too many shot makers. You know, so, you know what I'm saying? It ain't going to be a lot of missed shots. There's a lot of shot makers in this game. So, you know, it, it definitely been a hell of a game. You know, I look at, you know, J-Kid, you know, matched up because our starting lineup was J-Kid. It been J-Kid versus, you know, Magic. And then Kobe. Versus MJ, myself versus Scotty, Mello versus Barkley, Dwight 
versus Pat. I think it, it did Pat or did uh, David Robinson started the five. That's a good I'm question. Not, I can't remember. They might yeah. have swapped. I can't they might have swapped. Them, so you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying. So you know, when you look at that five for five, it's a good match because we bring Barkley out of the paint. You know, because Melo could shoot the ball extremely well, but we also got to make sure we help Melo because Barkley led the '92 team in scoring. Yeah, mm. he gonna put that ass on you. Barkley mm-hmm. put that ass on you. You know what I'm saying? So we got to account for that. You know, I feel like MJ and Kobe. You know, we we gotta. You know, they go they go they gonna have their own little game in between the game. <laughs> MJ and Kobe gonna have their own little game. Gonna they gonna be five on five. It's gonna be one on one, four on four. With them you know two guys, you're gonna need a stick to break them up. Hey, right, up. right. You know, yeah, exactly. You gonna need a stick. You gonna be like, hey, 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 man. This is five on five, man. This ain't this ain't Bird. This ain't Jordan versus Bryant like the old video game. This is five on five. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, but it would have been a hell of a game, though. That's for sure. Because we all competitors, man. You got the, you know, the best 24 players in the world. Guys who won championships. Guys who pride themselves on being the best in the world. And, you know, it would have been great. It would have been great. That's for damn sure. I don't know who would have won, man. You know, I'm going to pick us, obviously, because I'm on that <laughs> team. But you, when, you got, when you got so many great players, man, you, you, you never know. You get, you give, you, whoever got the ball last could, could win the game. Yeah. You know, there's obviously a bunch of different ways that you lead. And I know you pride yourself more than anything on being a great teammate and leading. What's your style? Of, what's your style of leadership, bro? You know, uplifting my teammates and, and, and being the positive influence on my teammates. And, and um, you know, everybody is different. Like, you know, MJ and Kobe's approach to being leaders is different from my approach from my approach. Magic and, and Bird's approach is different from Kobe and Mike. Kareem and Magic. While they was two teammates at the same time, their approaches are different to how they lead their teammates. So, um, you know, we all have our own different approach. But, you know, having that camaraderie, having that brotherhood um, is how I grew up. My little league coach always told me that there's no I in team. Literally, he told us every day. And that's why I got it. That's where I got it from. It's all different ways to approach leadership or who's going to mm-hmm. be the leader of the team. But one thing for sure it's all about the process that you have to go through to right. get to that result. And everybody right. everybody wants to win. Like when you're a type A personality or most people who get to the level of playing NBA basketball have at some point or at this point, they want to win. I mean, what, else, right. what the hell else are you doing right. it for? Right. So right. I agree with Brian that everybody's style is different. But me, I was, I'm never going to be the, as a player, like I'm never going to be the best player. Me and Brown were going back and forth. I could have got down with Michael's style, absolutely, though. What? Absolutely. I could have played with him and been a teammate and let him lead the team because it's like, I know it's clear what his motive right. is, and I'm on board with that motive. I want to win also. My point is like, I'm down with the leader if the leader is very clear on what the mission is. So, Michael, from day one, we know if I am joining a team with Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or Magic Johnson or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Larry Bird, the mission is to win a championship. To win. So if I am not on board with that, then I probably as a free agent to try and find another team to play with. So I'm good with Michael berating me, pushing me, Pulling me, LeBron style, Magic style. Yeah. I'm good with it because I want to win. So I'm. I wouldn't have never complained about Michael's thing because, like Michael said, I want to win. So I'm cool with it. Michael is always in tune with. I am here, and I am solely focused on winning a title. So what does that mean? That means everything I do, 
like the song says, every step I take <laughs> has to be towards a championship. So when you see this, you watch the game and you see Michael in the huddle. Chaos is going. They're, the jazz is game six, the thing. And Michael just can re, Michael can instantly in his brain recall a play from two or three games ago yep. and whisper, forget, think about the things he did. He recalls a play that happened two or three games ago. He then is the next, this is all happening at light speed. He then goes, oh shit, the cameras are on me. He knows that without even seeing, cameras are a hundred yards away from him, but he knows it's me. It's a tight game. The camera's on me. So he covers his mouth and whispers to Steve, yo, Steve, when Stockton comes, be ready. He knows that's Stockton's play from two games ago. Steve even admits it, and you see it. Steve says, Mike, if he comes, I'm going to be ready. <laughs> I'm ready, and, I'm and ready. He, <laughs> he doesn't realize Mike yeah. is like, yo, I'm whispering to you on purpose, bro. Like, right. Mike, right. Is so, Mike is so locked in and so concerned with the process of being a champion. Nothing yeah. matters, and he can recall shit in his brain. Just like when he gets to steal on Malone, you see him say, I know they were going to run their favorite play. Yeah. Of course they're going to run their favorite play. Knowing what we know now about Mike, his commitment to winning, his leadership style, would you have loved to play with Mike and be a teammate of Mike? Man, what? Absolutely. And um, I could care less about how great Mike was and and how, um, how transcendent he was as a personality, as a person, but just his drive. And I know me personally, the way I play the game, where it comes to like team first, I just feel like, you know, my best assets work perfectly with Mike. You know, Mike is an assassin. You know, Mike is an assassin when it comes to that, playing the game of basketball, you know, scoring the, the way he scored the ball, you know, my ability to pass, uh, my ability to read the game, um, plays and plays and plays in advance. Um, and then just taking the challenge. Like, I love when a teammate come to me and challenge me and tell me, okay, you know, all right, come on now. All right, six. You know, when I was in Miami, D-Wade used to be like, all right, six, let's go. You know what I'm saying? And I just see that from Mike. And, um, you know, I just feel like our games was just a perfect, you know, a perfect, you know, correlation to be able to uh, just be successful. You know, I see the things that Pitt was able to do with Mike. Um, I just think it would have been a whole nother level, you know, and, I, and, I, and Pitt was one of my favorite players. Uh, growing up along with, you know, Penny Hardaway. Those were my three favorite players. It's like Penny Hardaway, MJ, and Pitt. But I just think it would have been a whole nother level, you know, with me um, being that point forward, you know, alongside him during those, those Chicago runs. We've seen all 10 episodes of The Last Dance. Bron, you've played 17 NBA seasons, which sounds <laughs> insane to say, right? It is um, insane. It is if insane. you could pick one, if you could pick one season from your career to document, which season would it be and why? If, if, if I had one season to document, well, I mean, that's that's not fair. That's like that's like asking me to pick, <laughs> that's like asking me to pick one Drake or one Jay-Z <laughs> album. I, I don't know. It would either be year one, um, year one, because it, it, it's everything that sets it up. And it goes back to what Mav said about the process. Year one is the beginning of the process. And to have a camera follow me around my rookie year to see me making the adjustment. If you, if you remember, I went from 27 games as a high school senior to now playing 82 games 
as an NBA professional. So to have the the emotions, the ups and downs, the ins and outs, and people will like people will say, you know, why is it not, you know, the second year in Miami when you won a championship, your first ever championship, or the 2016 when you won a championship back in Cleveland. Yes, those were great years, but those years don't happen without year one. You know, when you're building a house, there's no house ever, ever built without you laying that first foundation down. You know, so I would say my first year on just seeing how I was reacting to every road trip, every plane, uh, you know, trip on the road, uh, every bus ride, you know, when I was home and, you know, you know, having a, a newborn, you know, my rookie year, my, you know, Bronny was born, you know, I'm 18 years old, you know, so, um, you know, those things are, um, those things is what really set me up to be the, um, the player, the man, um, you know, that I am today. So I would say my rookie year. Bringing it full circle. Talk about your rookie year. You talk about having a newborn and now we talk <laughs> about year 17, you know, you have your son, Bronny, that's a, you know, freshman in high school going through, you know, if there's, there's literally no one in the world right. better you know, for him to be able to go to and the things he's experiencing and about to experience. What's that yeah. process been like for you with him, man? Man, it's been fucking unbelievable. You 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 hear me talk about when I say how I met Michael Jordan. You see how, I, how, how enlightened, how, how crazy I get about talking about Michael Jordan. That's exactly how I feel about raising my family, raising my kids and, and having my firstborn being Bronny, being in the position that he is today, playing the game that he loves. I never... It's not one time that I ever asked my kids, do y'all want to play basketball? It was just in them. And to see Bronny where he is today, to see Bryce where he is today, to see Zuri where she is today, to be able to raise them. You know, that's why that's why I give back. That's why I give back to not only, you know, my community, not only to my school, but I give back to, you know, a lot of the kids that's coming into our league, you know, and because they it's a lot of them that just don't know. They, they have no idea. Um, they think they know. But they know they have no idea about what, what being a pro, being a real professional um, is all about. So I just try to be helpful, man. Before we get out of here, before we wrap, it's time for our closing segment called No Bullshit. Oh, we keep it real. Shit. We, oh, we keep shit. it real on a topic not covered in the dock. I've been keeping um, it real this whole time. What you mean? Absolutely. That's, that's all you do. That's all we do. So <laughs> the one thing on everyone's mind, man, the topic this week is the 2020 NBA playoffs. Right. Um, obviously, it's public knowledge. There was a conference call last week. You and a couple of players, um, you know, you came out, I believe, on Twitter, you know, and mentioned that, you know, the season's not over. No one's giving up on it. You guys are still trying to figure it out. What insight can you give us on where things are at right now? Yeah, I mean, um, no, definitely not giving up on the season. Um, you know, not only, you know, myself and my teammates, the Lakers organization, we want to we want to play. Um, it's a lot of uh, players that I know personally um, that want to play. And obviously, you know, we don't never want to jeopardize the, the health of any of our players or any of the players, families and so on and so on. This is a pandemic that uh, we have no idea. We can't control it. Um, and we're going to listen to the people at the hierarchy that has been following this pandemic, following the numbers, following the data and everything that goes on. But, um, you know, we've been seeing a lot of sport, sporting events, you know, UFC, you know, soccer. You know, we're hearing baseball about to get going a little bit. I want to get back to playing. I love to play the game of basketball. I know how inspiring, you know, the game of basketball is. 
I know how inspiring sport is itself. So, um, you know, as, as soon as possible, you know, when we can get back out there, we love to bring the game of basketball back to our fans, man, because, um, you know, as a fan myself, you know, I know we all miss it. And, and, and I, will, I will be sitting here lying if I say we don't. We all miss the game of basketball, man. It's just it, it's done so much for all. You, you're seeing it right now with the last dance. You, mm-hmm. You're seeing it. It's firsthand, firsthand of how the game of basketball uh, just assembles everybody. So um, hopefully this 2020 season can continue um, sooner or later. Yeah, I don't know what makes sense or doesn't. I know we need sport back uh, in our lives, all of us uh, as human beings. Sport matters uh, for a multitude of reasons, whether, you know, it's joy, it's seeing people compete, it's seeing people who you thought couldn't do it, do it. Um, I think obviously in dealing with this pandemic, you know, the total global population, all of us, is all, all humans are dealing with the same thing. It's probably the first time in our lives that every single human on the planet is dealing with the same issue. Someone said something to me that was so insightful. They said, in this moment, there's never been a time where every human being on the planet is a, a victim and every single human being on the planet is a suspect. We're all victims. <laughs> we're all suspects. That's a fact. So, so, you know, what works or doesn't work, I think a lot of us are still unsure. We know, but sport and basketball being a global sport, we need it back. And I think the idea of a comeback that as, as Americans, America has always come back. And as humans, globally, we've always come back in sport. You know, obviously LeBron was a part of one of the greatest comebacks in sports ever. Coming back is a thing that is instilled in you as an athlete. You never, you always believe you have a chance to come back until the clock says zero, zero, zero. And then when you lose, you still like, we can come back and win the next game, yeah, the next yeah. season, the next tournament. So I think we need basketball, we need sport to instill that feeling of joy and movement and come back into us. Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback what Matt just said, PR, man, the comeback story is always the greatest story. You know what I'm saying? Anytime someone say, I'm back, as we've seen in the Jordan doc or, or, or last dance doc, I should say, you know, the comeback story and how they can prevail you know, when they come back. So, you know, me being a profession of basketball and understanding how much the game of basketball has transcended people's lives, not only here in America, but all over the world. Like you said, we talk about the 92 Dream Team in Barcelona, all the way to the 2008 team in, in, in Beijing. You know, this is a world game. You know, uh, you know, you've got so many people from all over the all over the place, you know, that that wants to see the game played. So. With that said, hopefully we can be back. No better way to end the show, man. LeBron, Mav, thanks for joining <laughs> me here on WRTS, thank you guys. the after party, for I sure. Uh, it, man. Hey, man, to the audience, thank y'all for rocking with us. And please be sure to subscribe right here on the Uninterrupted YouTube channel. For podcast listeners, head to Uninterrupted's WRTS feed, available wherever you get your pods. Bron, hopefully next time we see you, it's in that Laker Purple and gold, no, no. Uniform, hopefully, I'm man. Doing, hopefully I'm doing that Laker, <laughs> that, that purple and gold. I'm like this. <laughs> for sure, for sure. All right, guys, peace.